Hello, my wonderful friends and enemies, in case you're listening. (laughs) And hello, greetings, welcome to another episode of Future Fossils Podcast, the show that explores our place in time. Or is it time's place in us? Because, you know, until H.G. Wells wrote The Time Machine, people thought of time as the passage of moments through a place rather than the passage of places through moments. There was no spatio-temporal manifold in which to project our coordinates, at least culturally speaking. And consequently, time was understood in a very different way. Time is bound into things, woven into them, or stitched. Memories are sewn into the fiber of our being, the literal fibers of our axons and dendrites. This weaving, this back and forth, the pass of the loom of time, reminds me of how I used to pass time when I discovered the world of podcasts Back in college, I was working as a scientific illustrator at the University of Kansas Natural History Museum, stippling dot after dot after dot for thousands of hours, various Philippine frogs, snakes, and lizards for field guides and species descriptions. Shout out to my old bosses, Rafe Brown and Linda Trube, the curator and curator emeritus at University of Kansas. That job allowed me to devote myself to the work of concentration and repetition, while also expanding my mind with illuminating podcasts. Looking back on it now, that was probably a formative experience, listening to all of these conversations with enlightened spiritual teachers and deep-diving artists, while I dot-dot-dotted my days away, eyeballing the crease on some frog's knuckle. Point is, where does time go? Well, it goes where we put it. And today, we're going to talk about that with Christopher Sheehan of Mountain Temple Tattoo, because his work is strangely familiar to my own. The binding of time into the body, the establishment of reiterative loops of self-reflection as the image beheld triggers a new wave of investigation. But first, a moment of gratitude. I am 70% of the way towards my goal for this year of reaching 100 subscribers on Patreon. And all of you out there who have chipped in $2 or $5 or whatever a month to help make this show and the book that I'm working on and my music and art a reality, I am super grateful to you. Your participation in this, not just your financial contribution, but your input on what this show should be to rise, to meet its potential. It's all been so extraordinarily helpful. And when I slow down from this crazy year and reflect on it for even a moment, I'm just overwhelmed at how much extraordinary and wonderful support I have and how many awesome people I know. And I hope you all meet each other and fall in love and have kids and that we all get to live in a village together forever. So if you know anybody that you want to live in a village with forever, 
please tell them about this show and maybe send them over to the Patreon page and let them unfold into the glittering cavern of jeweled delights that I have for everybody over there, including the talk that I gave at the Oregon Eclipse Festival, which, if you don't know, was a global gathering co-produced by 12 large festivals worldwide. There were people there from everywhere. I think I met an Antarctican. And it was just such a super profound experience to be part of something like that that was not arbitrary, but actually anchored in a super awesome celestial event, directing our attention to that, which exists beyond the veil of our cultural nonsense. So... My talk at the Eclipse Festival was unusually inspired, and I just put up the 360 video as well as the audio for that. And that is free for everyone, by the way. So go check it out. The Evolution of Time, or How to Imagine Time as a Landscape Navigated by Our Collective Attention. Which is basically the gist here, right? Also, I wanted to say I'm going to start putting out special patrons-only episodes here. One with the original co-host of this show, Evan Snyder. And then also the astrologer, Adam Summer, who had some very interesting things to say about the recent conjunction of Mars and Venus on a full moon and what this cosmic tetragrammaton has to say about the nature of the human soul also new chapters from the book forthcoming very shortly as well as new music and with that i am done talking about this because i really want you to hear this super cool conversation with christopher sheehan about transformational tattooing and how this human specific perhaps even human defining transcultural activity might carry us forward into a future beyond what we understand as language. Enjoy! I'm here with Christopher Sheehan today, the uh, transformational tattoo artist, and, and generally just a, you know, a very creative and motivated and, and thoughtful dude that uh, I've been connected with over social media for some time now and it's a pleasure to finally catch up with this guy and uh pick his brain a little bit about the ancient sacred art of skin inking and how that uh you know what what is probably one of the earliest forms of human art actually may have to teach us about our place in deep time and our our ability to connect in whatever sense, psychologically, spiritually, with the ancestors and the people for whom we will be ancestors. You know, what leaving these indelible marks upon our persons communicates across the gulf of moments. So, I don't know, man. How are you doing? Welcome on board. Oh, thanks, Michael. I'm I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me on the uh, on the podcast, and uh, I'm doing great. I'm in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm at my art studio right now, and uh, it is uh, downpouring. We're getting a thunderstorm, so it's a beautiful, beautiful time. Spring's warming up, so I'm glad to uh, to be doing this with you. Cool, right on. So, 
you're actually the first person that reached out to me at the podcast and and asked to be interviewed, which suggests that you have something burning in you that you feel you that you must say. And it's cool because most of the the visual artists that I know that I, that I work with over the years uh, find themselves kind of happy to to hang out behind the instruments of their craft and let the artwork speak for the for itself. So it's it's exciting to meet a, another Gabby artist, and I'm I'm curious I'm curious uh, to know what's what's lighting up in you right now, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well. Uh... Yeah, that that's a kind of a like you're saying, almost like a paradox in our in our um, our industry or our field. There's there's kind of that idea of letting the art speak for for you through the um, through the medium itself. And I I actually started out um, doing that in my teenage years, and then when I was growing up, I just kind of got into art school, and then through that experience, it, it connected me with other avenues of exploration. I'm sure the psychedelic realm, which you're familiar with, and also, I don't know avenue- what about. <laughs> also avenues of, uh, of um, self-study into spirituality and, and meditation and practices like that. And then I actually ended up teaching that for many years. So it, it kind of forced me to put words to these concepts and to these ideas that were, you know, more etheric and more um, subtle. And, you know, as far as the energies and the ideas uh, that you're trying to relate and, and communicate to people so that they can benefit from it. So, yeah, that was kind of my, my, my mixture into this realm, but with the, uh, with the, the burning desire, like you said, uh, I've really, I've really over the years come to, a um, a synthesis of, of those two worlds where, um, kind of spirituality and, um, research and holistic lifestyle and all those kinds of things that have really made an impact on my life for a number of years and, and really made me who I am and formulated my perspective on art also have merged with tattooing, which when I first started and got in the industry, it was something that uh, was very far removed from my experience and also from the world of the artists around me. So that that's kind of a good place to start. So you've been doing this for about 15 years now, right? That's like uh a long time and it's been my experience that even uh, a craft that's taken up, up as sort of a joke or a curiosity ends up developing this numinous depth to it with that much time invested in it like even even for me like if i start a painting as a joke and it ends up becoming more and more serious and profound and it's like even the tattoo artists i know that work in these like grimy sailor jerry type shops have this real hardcore monastic respect for what they're doing that they they take it really seriously and even though they may not overtly brand their work as sacred in the way that you do they still will like you know there have been a couple times when i inquired about tattoo apprenticeships and and without any exception the answer that I always got was basically like, you have to love this like this, like you have to regard this as the only thing that matters in your life or like the most important thing. This is, this is the the gravest responsibility. This is a window to the divine. Like, I don't know. How do you, um, how do you sit with all of that? Cause clearly you are putting forward that this is a very uh, sacred process, but I mean, do you feel that you have to take it seriously or? Where, how, what is your history with this? I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, 
it's, it's an interesting journey because before we get to the point of how I arrived at the perspective that I have with how this is, in my opinion, a transformational art form that is, is, you know, potentially very sacred and, and meaningful and, and almost a technology, um, when, when we get into it, but how I arrived at it was really interesting because I didn't really expect that I would ever be a tattoo artist. It was almost kind of a thing I stumbled into, which wasn't the norm 15 years ago when people started, um, you know, putting tattoos on television, there was a huge explosion. I'm sure you're familiar with just in the, the culture in general. And, and as, a, as a consequence, the number of tattoo artists and tattoo shops that are now in business and the popularity, it's just continued to grow. But when I was first starting in tattooing 15 years ago, I was learning from a lot of the guys that were, um, I would say, as far as the um, the group of these people, they were the second wave or the first wave of the renaissance of tattooing in the 90s. So my mentors basically broke the mold from that old traditional vantage point where you know you had the biker shops and the sailor shops and those kinds of things. And that, that was kind of how tattooing was regarded. And then they came from art school. They came from a background of passion for art. They wanted to push limits, push boundaries, push borders in a new direction. So I got to learn from a few of those guys actually in Dallas, Texas. And that's how I came into the the, the business. I was getting tattooed at the time. I got my first tattoo when I was actually 17 underage in New Jersey, just in high school, which was kind of a funny story. I went with a group of four of my buddies and uh, they all got tattooed. They turned 18. I was younger than them at the time. And they, they walked into the studio and this guy was really, really kind of cool and um, kind of a biker dude, but uh, really cool. And uh, he was getting, giving them their tattoos. And then he, he asked me at the end of it, he said, you know, what do you want? And I said, well, I wasn't, you know, I didn't tell him I wasn't expecting because I was underage. I just pointed to something on the wall and said, I'll take that. So uh, he, tattooed, <laughs> <laughs> he tattooed me and uh, I, I didn't question it. It was a small little scorpion on my, on my shoulder for my astro- astrological sign. And um, so then I went back two weeks later and got another one because I knew that he wouldn't, he, he wouldn't, you know, say, you know, I can't tattoo you. He already tattooed me. So. I got another one off the wall <laughs> and it was, it was funny, Michael. It was this thing where I walked in and I got this one off the wall. Cause I was so, uh, almost kind of like, uh, I wasn't expecting to do this, but I want to, cause it's cool. And I, I want to be a part of what I'm doing with my friends. And, and then the second one I got was a piece of, um, a piece of flash, um, that, uh, I'd picked off the wall as well, but it was by an HR Giger, um, the, the guy who did aliens and stuff like that. So mm. I was I was hugely into Escher, MC Escher, and uh, and Giger back in back in high school. These guys were my heroes and my mentors, and so I ended up. I asked him when I was getting the second tattoo. I said, "Can I bring something to you to get tattooed?" And he said, "Yeah." He said, "Yeah, bring me anything you want. I can I can just do it." And I, Whoa! So I'm kind of learning as I'm going by getting these tattoos, which was almost in hindsight, you know, a terrible way to approach. But uh, he was telling me. Uh, you know, bring something in. So I brought in this MC Escher eye with the, with the skull and the pupil. And, uh, it was one of my favorite images from the book. So I got that tattooed on my arm in between these other tattoos. And then I said, can I draw something and bring it in? And he said, of course. So I'm, I'm like, all right, I'll draw something. So I, I was into black and gray stipple art. Um, I think before it was kind of trending, it was interesting, um, to see how much that's progressed in tattooing, but also in, in, um, just popular culture these days. But yeah, so I was, I was doing that. I brought this last one in and, and I actually got it tattooed with my mom. She, um, she came in, I drew something up for her because she was watching her 17 year old son get this tattoo. And, uh, you know, I was obsessed with artwork in general. And, um, 
you know, discovering all kinds of artwork. And that's actually where I came across, you know, our, our mutual um, um, mentor in the industry, Alex Gray. His work, uh, Sacred Mirrors, was in high mm. school. I bought the first edition when it first came out, and I was so excited. And a lot of those artists and musicians influenced what I was doing aesthetically and, and also with consciousness and exploring. And so, you know, I just I went with my buddies and then started to get this string of tattoos I, I placed together. Um, and then when I moved to Dallas, Texas, uh, back in the year 1997, which was kind of a long time ago, but uh, I went and got tattooed by a guy who um, ended up messing up this half sleeve that I wanted to have tying it all together. I had all these piecemeal tattoos on my right arm and uh, he ended up messing it up. So I was like, I need to find somebody better. So I found a guy who was reworking what this other guy had started and was doing an amazing job. I was really happy with him and he knew I was going to art school. I was actually going to the art Institute of Dallas at the time. He offered me an apprenticeship and I uh, said, I'll teach you how to tattoo. And I was like, I don't know about that. I don't know. If th- I want to be an illustrator and poster artist was kind of my thing um, that I was going to school for. And um, he took me under his wing and, and showed me how to tattoo. And it was really, really fortunate back in the day. I mean, a lot of people had to go through a lot more hoops and, and uh, scrub a lot more toilets. Yeah, to- that's nuts. You got recruited. I've never heard of anyone going through that where usually it's like completely the opposite where it's like oh please you know it's the three days you're waiting in the rain outside the monastery before they let you in to join fight club or whatever yeah that that was totally the the whole you know operating system for for back then because those guys that learned and you know the generation before me you know they had to scrub the biker dudes toilets for two years and like you're saying and it was just kind of more of a rite of passage initiation we want to know that you're serious we want to know that you're not messing around with us and you know a lot of them i don't think people charged a whole lot for apprenticeships i think it was more like if i found somebody that was devoted and would you know invest in the craft and you know take you seriously but i didn't have to go through that and some of the people that i knew in that then in that day and age they didn't have to do the same thing i think that's lessened with each generation so yeah, I find it really, really fortunate. I don't know. They always seem to find, I, I seem to find the ones that want me to, you know, really put the work in. <laughs> it's like, as if they can smell the dilettante, you know, it's just, but you know, the thing that fascinates me just hearing this, this part of your story so far is it started with a transgression with a boundary crossing where you went in and got them before you were actually of age. And that you know that's that's a very uh, ubiquitous trope in trickster stuff but then also from the very beginning in your case you get the scorpio and you get the hr giger stuff that's like very uh chthonic profound what you know in astrology you'd call like the eighth house material the death and rebirth and uh, all of that but just in general it's it, you're you know you're already you know as you said in your let me see if i can pull this up transformational tattooing is the intentional use of imagery to communicate with and program the subconscious mind but here at 17 it sounds like this is like before you figured that out but you're already sort of unconsciously or not completely intentionally like reaching into specific areas and influencing there's this feedback system that tattoos create in terms of the, the thoughts and identities they reinforce, you know, and like right out of the gates, I think it's true of, of most people. Actually, it's not unique to your story that these tattoos are chosen 
for reasons that a person doesn't yet understand. And like it, the meaning exfoliates and unfolds and, and deepens over the years. Right. Like, so uh, how do you now reflect on, on some of those decisions and the ways that they've sort of like tricked you into discovery over that, that intervening 15 years since then? Well, it, yeah, that's a great question. And it is something that I have reflected on over the past, you know, 15 years since I started tattooing and even before, before then, because I was, I was getting those tattoos before I started tattoos. So, um, it, it really is an interesting thing because with the whole culture of visionary art, which is kind of a, I don't know, it's a new label, I think, but I think that there's these elements that you find along the journey where you're seeing, guideposts, little, little, little beacons that are kind of leading you in a certain direction. And like I said, I never thought I would actually end up being a tattoo artist. I wanted to be a poster artist. That was when I left high school and I went to the Art Institute of Dallas, I'm like, I'm going to be a poster artist uh, because that's what was hanging in my room in high school. That's who my mentors were as far as what I wanted to do. I thought if I could just create artwork in these epic scales for like six months at a piece or, you know, 12 months at a piece and then sell them and make a living, I would be, I would be happy. And when this came into my life with like getting this tattoo almost off the cuff and then getting these other ones done, I knew that there was something that was trying to reveal itself. Like you're saying through the unconscious, the subconscious. And uh, I've always trusted that even in my, my newer works where I've done these stipple illustrations that are, just ungodly amounts of time and, <laughs> you know, just, just huge, huge endeavors. Um, and I did a lot of them when I was in art school, they always reveal something in the context of looking back and seeing what has come through. It's almost like, okay, what's in there? You know, I know a lot of artists experience that and they, they find themselves being informed years and years after they create something about what's really going on or what that really had to say, or even just kind of seeing the wisdom that's inherently there when you channel you tap in and you connect in that way that allows the stuff to come through you know it's, it's quite exciting yeah you know that's uh reflected in the way that people talk about your work you know you hold a particular space and i guess that this is i'm sure true for tattoo artists of all kinds because you know it, it is your chair it's your little spot you know it's kind of in between like a massage table and a painter's studio. And in a way it's connected, I think also to like the desktop that, you know, like the way that uh, Werner Vinge in some of his near term uh, science fiction, like rainbows end, he talks about, we end up rather than just giving each other phone calls, we sort of project these avatars into each other's virtual environments and sort of, experience the whole room that a person wants to present to us in order to mediate the experience of of encountering them and and so as a as a tattoo artist you have this opportunity to invite someone into a literal temple you know in your your studio mountain temple like you you get this like do you make people take their shoes off and shit like that i mean (laughs) uh what's the you know because because your user reviews are all like talking about how sacred and you know damn near life-changing psychedelic 
it is to go through this whole guided eight hour process with you where there's like a, a, a playlist and, and stuff like that. So, you know, talk more about that, please. Yeah, well, it, it bears mentioning the process of what led up to that, because, you know, like I said, I was I was getting these tattoos and I was doing all the stuff, which was pretty, I don't know, rock and roll. When I first got into tattooing, I was in a, I was in a studio, I guess the, the first real tattoo studio that I was in was in Deep Ellum in Dallas. And it was uh, back in the day when there was seven tattoo studios in a three block radius. Um, one of those was Oliver Peck's Elm Street tattoo, who he's, you know, he's now famous on television with the, you know, Ink Masters and stuff. And then my mentor, um, Frank Lee, who actually, he passed away several years ago. Um, uh, Boog Brown, uh, Steve Corbet, these guys um, had a studio that I was a part of called Smooth Groove Tattoo. This was when tattooing was illegal in Oklahoma. So people would literally come down in caravans to get tattooed. And it was, it was just nonstop. And there was, you know, people, they block off three, three of those streets just for walking traffic. And it was just wall to wall people. There'd be 50 to a hundred people in the studio, stacks of, you know, flash tattoos as high as you could see. And you were just, you know, cranking them out one after another. So it was all about, you know, it was like fast food tattooing, you know, it's all about the, the numbers and, and, you know, trying to, trying to get through the tattoo uh, as quickly as you can. Those, those experiences and doing that for a number of years and then moving into custom studios where you started to see this on television, where people started to t- bring in ideas and concepts and they had a little bit of a meaning, a story behind it. And, and that's the kind of drama and the, the context that really made it, you know, connecting for people to watch and, and to, to say, oh yeah, I can, I can imagine something and bring it in, and, and someone can create this beautiful, unique, one of a kind piece for me. Um, it was learning and observing in those environments as I gradually progressed through, I, I would say, the traditional means of, of studios that really informed me to see what was working for people in terms of not only their experience while they were getting that tattoo, but how fulfilled were they afterwards with the process, with the product, and when they came to me to get tattooed. I could tell there was a difference between the people that had prepared and done certain things with themselves that was apart from what I did with them. And there was people that were just doing it like I did off the cuff. And it didn't always work out uh, in that way. I could, I could kind of map things like anxiety levels, you know, like when you're getting a tattoo for the first time, it's the same thing, Michael, as when you're taking a psychedelic for the first time, or if you're going to a new country, or if you're, basically moving into a new trade or industry or city, you know, you're, you're just open and how much you process and allow and surrender and kind of are okay with that unknown aspect of life and of, of the moment really does equate to your ability to be present and calm and allow it to unfold rather than, you know, getting very anxious. I'm sure you've observed this with people with psychedelics, you know, it's like, what's going to happen to me and what's, you know, all this stuff. And if you can kind of still your mind, slow your thoughts down, just be in a space of presence and of openness, then it, it goes a lot better. So I noticed also too, that environment had a huge impact on this. I mean, I'm talking about what song was played on the radio or, you know, the kind of lighting, the kind of atmosphere, if there was a bunch of people having crazy conversations next door, because, you know, and a lot of tattoo studios, there's a lot of stations right next to each other and you can hear everything going on. And that kind of chaos is fun on some levels. Cause, and that's, and that's what I'm, I'm wanting to get across too, is that I don't look at what I do as far as transformational tattooing or my whole theory approach and, and application of it is 
the only way or the best way. It's not. Uh, it's it's one way, and it's a way that I found is is meaningful on a, on a really deep level to myself, <laughs> and then certain people that that want to approach it this way. But back to the environment, I found that people would relax when a nice calm song would come on and then they would just like they'd be having a hard time they'd be going through a lot of pain and then all of a sudden they'd just relax or if it was more still and and calm in the the environment people could get tattooed for longer they wouldn't have to you know get up as much take breaks um that, that had to do with just environmental influence and that comes back to the whole temple consciousness like you're talking about where one of my favorite uh, documentaries on Egypt, I forget the name of it, but it was it was talking about how in Egypt, the temple was the teaching where there wasn't any science that wasn't artistic. There wasn't any art that wasn't religious. There wasn't any religion that wasn't scientific. And so it all culminated in the temple as a visceral experience of connecting with the structure, the principles and the harmonics of what aligned a human being with their highest potential or for a certain intention. And that's really what I try to bring to my space, which is, I think, where people give that feedback. It's, it's I'm trying to create a sacred space where there is alignment on all levels. So, you know, physically, um, aesthetically, energetically, you're, you're being supported. So the intention being, you know, you're embodying something that I believe is a sacred ritual. And that ritual opens you up to you know, either a deeper aspect of yourself, whatever your intention is that you brought to the process, which is kind of that preparation beforehand. That is the aspect that um, I would like to see everything in the space and my actions and what I do really support someone's journey. And music is definitely a huge, huge part of that, as you know. It just sets the the tempo, the space, the, the substance with which we breathe and move and, and exist in. Um, it's frequency. And so then um, actually the other aesthetics from the art that's on the walls to uh, the smells. Um, sometimes I'll have um, in- incense a little bit, Palo Santo, essential oils, depending upon what's going on. And, and sometimes it's just a clear space. It's neutral. But then all that really just supports that alignment. And that's really what I'm trying to do. And, and really what I discovered along the way was that I was more in the business of helping empower someone's alignment with cells about being a tattoo artist and when i discovered that everything really shifted i could actually then like you said brand it or claim it uh, own it uh, and and communicate with people about like what's actually happening when you place a tattoo on your body Um, it comes down to the fact that i feel like imagery is a universal language as you as you know um, that we communicate with that anyone can understand no matter what language they speak. And so that whole like conscious impression or in, 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 um, intention upon the subconscious mind is really an act of awakening where it's like you ask yourself, you know, what's the most fun, empowering, aligned, sacred thing that I want to say to myself. And then an image really has more power than I, I believe you know, words that we're, we're, we're reaching for these words in our, in our, in our conversation to describe images. Like everyone who's listening, they're, they're experiencing the imagery that we're, we're painting for them. And the more clear and and energized and alive those are within our minds, then the more that they receive and feel and are, you know, viscerally connected to that in the conversation. And so that's really what I'm trying to draw out of my clients and, you know, myself is, you know, what, what is the most empowering thing that you want to say to yourself. And I often use the example, if you had to put something on your bathroom mirror, 
and say to yourself in the morning, you know, something people often put quotes or affirmations on their bathroom mirrors or they've heard about that. You know, what would you want on your bathroom mirror for the rest of your life? And I didn't think about that at 17. I was just thinking, because I didn't really think about life this way. I didn't think about that I had that much of an impact or that there was this feedback system going on. Like you're saying, I mean, I agree with you completely. That feedback loop of the imagery that we surround ourselves is totally game changing and shifting. I mean, just from what you put on your walls at your house affects every aspect of, of what you're experiencing on a subconscious level, even if you're not consciously giving a lot of attention. But then imagine what you put on your body. And if you can see it on your body, it has even more of an impact because it's constantly informing through that feedback loop um, what it is that you think about yourself and how you view the world. And then also empowering certain you know, directions that you may or may not um, want to pursue. Yeah. And in that sense, you know, that's where you can look back to ancient, ancient traditions as uh, Jaron Lanier does, the ostensible inventor of virtual reality. You know, he gave this big talk. You can find the video online where I think it was, it was maybe his TED talk. Uh, he starts by talking about the first digital device and it's this recorder or flute. It's got all these differently, you know, it's like a little uh, breath organ thing. And then yeah. there's something in also, you know, specifically the same countries in Southeast Asia around the same time and with the same equipment, with the same reeds, that, like the hollow reeds, end up developing this tradition of sacred tattoo. And I just met a friend of mine in Australia on this last trip, Brandon and his wife, Jen, run this this bus called the Liminal Caravan, and they, they take it from festival to festival, and they set up these extraordinary lounge spaces, and it's just utterly incredible. They, mm. They've taken the inside of this old bus, and they've wood-paneled everything. They've turned the whole thing into a cabinet of curiosities. And and both of them are, are covered with gorgeous uh, ink, and I was asking him about his stuff, and he was saying that, yeah, he got it from the woman who was the last the last surviving like 98 year old direct inheritor of this tradition and that they had to go through this whole thing for days that involved the sacrifice of a dog. And like, <laughs> it was this super intense, almost Joseph Campbell level thing about what a tattoo used to mean, you know, <laughs> and like yeah. how serious people were about it once upon a time. And I was like, oh, dude, I remember hearing about this woman. She was actually uh, the subject of a documentary and an exhibit that was the, the featured exhibit last summer at the Royal Ontario Museum. And, and I, was, I went to the museum and I saw her on this, this 20-foot tall banner. You know? So it just captured my imagination that you know, the thought that the activity itself transforms as the time horizon with which we consider the activity expands and that the recognition that tattoo is this uh the creation of some sort of self-programming loop in your in like your perception and your embodied experience mm -hmm. is part of this deeper understanding of systems and how like we can approach life as programmers sort of that comes of thinking about these deeper considerations that uh, tattoo is especially excellent at uh, highlighting and addressing. 
Yeah, most definitely. I actually, I saw that documentary. I'm ready. It was a, a clip of that, that woman. She's amazing. And it was so inspiring to see that she was still doing it. And, um, and like you said, to, to nod to that ritual of connection that she had to her lineage, but then also to the fact that there were people still willing to travel and, and go, you know, experience and receive tattoos in that way. Yeah, I think that that's something, and I feel the reason why a lot of people, well, the people that I, I tattoo, they connect deeply to what I do and how I approach it because I don't feel like there is as many um, intentional rituals still available through um, through these means. Like, for instance, when I was getting tattooed, I had no idea it was a tattoo. It was almost an unconscious process. And intentionally approaching something with awareness is very different than kind of stumbling into it and you can have very similar experiences but it kind of brings it to a new level of empowerment and i was actually reading a book this is something when i moved to this area there was a an author here i was very fascinated by because i've always been interested this is also kind of ties dovetails back into the the whole high school years for me when i was exploring those mountainous regions of new jersey i was on trails with my dogs behind our house and I was out in the woods all the time and uh, I found a megalithic structure on this mountain at the end of this trail. And I didn't know what it was. I couldn't call it that at the time, but it was a huge standing stone, the size of a a good room uh, perched on top of three small stones. And I've come to find out that the name of the space is actually called, it's called tripod rock and it's on pyramid mountain. Uh, If you Google it, you'll find it in New Jersey. Uh, and it's in alignment with the solstices and the equinoxes, and it's kind of a sacred site that's a little bit under the uh, the radar in in northern New Jersey. And Is I would go pre Clovis. <laughs> do you know? Because there's like there's this whole thing about the uh, the younger Dryas. And sorry to interrupt, but I just no. you know it's like this just to get some perspective on the the temporality of our conversation here. Uh, we're talking about like there being this punctuation mark around the world about 13,000 years ago that right now is contested as to whether or not that's the result of a comet hitting the North American glacier. Um, but it's like an abrupt uh, end and then rebooting later, subsequent rebooting of the ice age, and like all this North American megafauna dies out, you know, and um it's and it seems like there were people living in North America that died out around this time too, and that when what we call now Native Americans came to the continent, they found like the remains of all of this stuff that they had made. I'm just curious uh-huh. if if because like I know that Serpent Mound is one of those things that like European archaeologists mostly say that that that's like a thousand years old, but the the natives that were living here. When we when we got here, we being Europeans, you know, they said that it was old by the time they found it. You know, oh, they yeah. don't know who built it, and it's like, well, we should listen to them, obviously. Yeah, it, it, it that's a whole other. That, I mean, I love talking about this stuff. And <laughs> sorry, and you just said megalith, and it was like boing. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I realized. It was like getting the tattoo at seventeen turned me onto this path of what became transformational tattooing. I would go underneath this megalith, which was kind of scary. You know, it was this huge rock perched upon these three tiny stones. 
and you could crawl underneath it and you could, I laid underneath it for hours. And I feel, I felt like that informed a lot of who I, I am and what I became and what I became interested in. And I then later on began to study the ancient America, um, you know, story. And I've moved around a lot and I, I used to live in Wisconsin before I lived here. And in the, the, the town and the, in the county we lived in, it was the second highest concentration of mounds, um, in that area. And um, there's a there's a place there called Man Mound, which is a great horned figure. Serpent Mound, I've been to several times. Uh, Cahokia over by St. Louis is a pyramid structure that the base of it is larger than the Great Pyramid at Giza. Um, here in North Carolina, there's this petroglyph looking rock structure called Judicola Rock. And then all the native um, natives of this area, um, from what I not only read in this book, from what I from right here, say that it's also something that predates their their existence as well. And they speak of things like a taller race. Uh, Ross Hamilton is a great researcher of Serpent, Serpent Mound. If anyone's interested in looking up his work, Ooh, cool. I think he's been on a lot of programs. But he's done like thirty years worth of research into Serpent Mound. Uh, and then, so basically, the connection between that and the Northeast is that what the this pre-race maybe have did with the, the mounds in the Mississippi River Valley uh, was also done with stone in the Northeast because it was the predominant building block of that, you know, that area, that, that bioregion. They didn't have as much earth to build with, so they used, they used stones. There's a great documentary on YouTube. If you can find it, um, you can look up Megalithomania. There's a guy named Hugh Newman who does a conference. Um, and basically, he puts together a documentary uh, or a, or a conference in i think it was connecticut that talked about there's more megalithic structures in the northeast than almost anywhere else but people haven't really recognized them as such like a lot of the walls and the um, structures that are like what i'm talking about stack stones or piles of stones all have amazing mystery behind them there's a place called america's stonehenge in new hampshire that if you have never been to you got to go see there's an actual underground chamber that you can crawl into and lay down like a sarcophagus mm-hmm. and right above, right above this thing on the top of the, uh, the earth above it. Cause it's an underground chamber is a huge slab that looks like a ceremonial slab surrounded by dolmens on the outer perimeter of this structure. That's all aligned with the equinoxes and the solstices and just, just amazing things. And if you've ever meditated or spent time in the earth, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's grounding, you know, there's even that, that, that kind of trending term grounding and, and it brings you right back into, uh, into presence and into, you know, a feeling of, of your heart. So I, I find it amazing that that's what I stumbled upon. And, and that's kind of how, you know, it, it opened up a lot of doors, both of those things, tattooing and then kind of this ancient megalithic storyline in ancient America aspect. So now do you, you care more about the equinoxes? Um, I don't know how, how much of a day-to-day effect it has on me. I mean, as far as the idea that things are cyclical and that the, the natural order of not only my body, my life, the planet I live on has a rhythm to it that I want to try to harmonize with. Yes. I mean, definitely. Um, but uh, I think being aware of these things helps to harmonize, which is all about alignment, which is all about what I, you know, bringing it back to the transformational tattooing. That's what I ask people. Now, when I tattoo them, I ask them, you know, what is your intention for this tattoo? Simply put, I say, well, and if they don't know, 
or if it's not clear, if they haven't come up with something that really resonates deeply, because I want to help them create a mark on their body that is a living reflection of a form of expression that connects them and helps empower them. And so that really is the question I ask. And if they don't know what it is, I just ask, you know, what's the most empowering thing that you would want to say to yourself, you know? And that's how I look at tattoos. They're images, they're forms of communication, and they're informing us on many different levels. Mm. And they can be a technology for this. And that's where I believe, like you're saying, these roots, these indigenous roots, you know, you earned your tattoo. It wasn't just willy-nilly, you know, you just went out and got a tattoo, I don't think. I think you had to earn it. And I also think it was deeply significant and meaningful. And as such, um, that's the kind of like thought. Because when I ask people this question, the people that want to just get a tattoo for other reasons, which are all valid, are fine. Um, they don't want to put in the work. You know, they don't want to put in the effort to go, you know, what do I really want to imprint upon my life? What identity, what connection to something within me do I want to see empowered and enhanced? And the tattoo becomes this living reflection of that enhancement, that empowerment, that connection alignment. And then they, you know, they, they love it. And the people that don't expect that, like in my former studio, I would ask people this question and they didn't always know they were coming to me because I hadn't branded it as this. I, I still had a lot of visionary kind of art and stuff and people would come in and think it was cool. I'd ask them these deeper questions and they'd say, thank you for asking me this because I never would have thought of this on my own. And the tattoo is a hundred times more meaningful now to me because I did this work. Mm-hmm. There's also something to be said, I think for just i don't know like there's something about the ritual that creates this container within which someone trusts you as a lineage or standard holder enough to like at conventions you know like if you're standing in line for a famous tattoo artist and they just get to pick what's on you you know Mm -hmm. and i think that uh as as much as i value the intentionality of it i think it's also really cool to to witness surrender in this process. And, and in your case, I would think that, you know, after 15 years, you, you're probably uh, entirely capable of just being like, well, I'm going to read you out and then I, I got this. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the, the ink that you need, you know, that is total trust. And when you have that kind of relationship, that's profound. Well, I think it's both because there, there's actually a great documentary that um, one of our industry leaders is putting together. His name is Jeff Gogway. He tattoos out of Grants Pass, Oregon. Oh, yeah. I follow him on Instagram. He's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, that's great. I mean, there's so many people that you can become aware of and so many artists. It's been such a blessing. Uh, and he's got this video coming out called Surrender where he went to Japan and got his back tattooed by um, – uh, Shige, he's a tattoo artist over there. He's kind of a new, newer generation um, Japanese tattoo artist, and and basically it's like, well, this is what I want, and then he interpreted it however he wanted, and he had to surrender to that process. And I think that's a part of the equation. Ultimately, what what I kind of like to help people understand is that even if you do that, the work that you do beforehand is part of what can be a personal empowerment. So, like, let's say you end up going to somebody whose style and work you really love and you say, you know, this tattoo on me, what you want to tattoo or, you know, I trust you. Uh, the reason why you're getting the tattoo is still something that you've formulated or you can formulate. So, you know, let's say 
you want to create a tattoo that I would give an example from a client or from you know, something that I can imagine. You want to, your intention becomes, and I try to help people really distill it to a simplistic form. You want to cre- create a tattoo that helps you embody um, your own sense of alignment or divinity. Now that's a really broad term, but it can be personal and deeply significant for, for each person who thinks of it. You're going to be attracted to the people that are, of that vibe, you know, you're not just going to go to any, anybody and say, well, just tattoo whatever you want on me. So I think the people that have that kind of brand of tattooing and have, have achieved that level of um, demand really have a certain frequency that they're putting out there. And then it's up to you to find and align and harmonize with that frequency. Cause you wouldn't go to somebody to have that kind of tattoo. That's just going to put something crazy wild on you that has no relevancy. So yeah, I can see how they both can work together, but uh, fair enough, fair enough. So let's zoom out a minute here. I want to pull this to back to the, what I brought up at the very beginning, which is this notion that at least in theory, your skin is leather; it can outlast you. A tattoo is one of the most stable forms of communication that humans have invented, oddly enough. You know, it it lasts longer than a CD, you know, which will crackle in one day in a hot car, you know, or, or photographs even of now extinct tribes that, you know, had unique traditions of tattoo or scarification. And I, I'm just curious to know if you, I'm sh- as you, I'm sure you must, while you're in the process, have these moments where you just become transparent to everyone who has and will ever be doing the same work, and and what that may have led to in you, if you've ever like reflected on the uh, tattoos of the distant past and future. Yeah, definitely. It's a it's a craft, like you're saying. That I think I forget. You probably would know more about this, but the guy. Do you remember the Ice Man they pulled out? It was the '90s, I think. Yes, he had tattoos. He had tattoos. Yeah. So that was a really really cool thing to find out when I when I found out about that because it kind of said yay for tattoos, but. <laughs> It, it it was it was like that. It was like going wow. Every stigma, every taboo, every um, weird perception that what we think of in Western culture that because for years I like I when I was in Deep Ellum tattooing people in Dallas and and a lot of people would come there on business trips because Dallas is a, a really big business city and they'd be at a conference, they'd be at a convention, and inevitably their concierge would point them to Deep Ellum and say go there. It's fun. There's bars, there's tattoo shops, there's places to go visit shops and, and, you know, and they'd come in and they, they'd be interested in a tattoo and they'd always say, well, I have to get this covered up or put in a place where I can't, you know, can't be seen because I'm in corporate America. And so there's all these taboos and kind of stigmas involved in it. And it's interesting to see that the culture and the history of tattooing as a human activity has been something that we've been doing for far longer than, you know, our, our current operating system of how we, we look at it in terms of, you know, puritanical or Western mindset. But I think that's changing now. The far more percentages of people that have tattoos, I think is growing in numbers and it's becoming a permanent part of Western culture. So it's fascinating, but yeah, I do feel that way when I'm doing a tattoo, it's timeless. It's similar to any artist who's doing their craft and gets in the zone and 
forgets who they are and what they're, what they're doing and even to eat or drink, you know, it's, it's something that is transcend, transcendental or, you know, connects me with a, with not only a divine sense in the moment, but also like you're saying with the, all the other people that choose to do this very um, one level rudimentary or archaic form of communication. Uh, and that's the visceralness to it. And that's another aspect that is really fascinating is the idea that, you can transcend the pain because part of what I realize with my clients is that I, I would attach you, especially, and I don't know, I'm not trying to generalize as far as far as um, age or anything, but especially young people, I tattoo young guys, young girls, and they, they would, they would get really super just hyped up and anxious and emotional almost to the point where they'd be either screaming or yelling during the tattoo or even just like almost up to the point of tears. And it's just, and this was always in the setting where they were just doing it on the fly and they were just coming in and, and it wasn't everybody, but it was, it was enough where I noticed, you know, what's going on here. And I was like, Oh, this is an initiation into transcending duality. It's, it's, and I, and I described this to my clients. I said, the pain of the needle, you cannot avoid. It's going to be there and it's a fact and that is something you cannot erase. But your mental and emotional amplification of that pain through your resistance, either mentally or emotionally, will only make it worse. So what I encourage my clients to do or what I have done through my own practice and kind of just like back engineered it to describe it was I would meditate. I would, I would, I would try to, you know, let go and surrender like you're saying and become as receptive and as still and as allowing as possible. And when I realized that what that, that would happen, that would allow me to go for, you know, I get tattooed for three, four or five hours and then I get a second wind and I could go for a lot longer. And it's that threshold where you meet your own resistance or challenge or pain. And then you are able to accept it on a deeper level and you become stronger and you become able to see through the illusion of it even more. And I think those kinds of aspects and the rite of passage of indigenous cultural heritage, like you're saying, those are all things that, you know, you became something through the process. You didn't, you weren't the same after the tattoo, not only because of the mark, but because of what you had to do to earn it. And uh, that's not something everyone's prepared for because, you know, so much of our cultural perspective or convenience and comfortable uh, cultural perspective is all about preserving comfort and convenience. And so to do something that is physically taxing, emotionally, mentally demanding on a level of um, moment to momentary transcendence, it is, it's new for a lot of people. And unless you're kind of given that kind of coaching, you, you know, you, you would just be like in that state of, of anxiety. So, and I watched people that were a little older or maybe people that had some life experience, they'd sit down and they were fine. They almost fell, you know, <laughs> totally different spectrums of the, of the experience, but it, it was fascinating. And so I, I began to just pay attention to that. And so as I talked to people, I could, I could let them know, well, here's, here's some things that's going to come up and this is kind of what's going to happen. And when they realized that that was the case, then they could approach it more from, you know, almost like a warrior's perspective. They were ready for what they were facing rather than kind of being caught off guard by it. Mm. Well, furthermore, I bet. That as is the case, you know, people are known to synchronize their biometrics, you know, heart and brainwave activity. If they get in, you know, you can get into a lockstep with one another. And I bet that if you are treating your tattoo practice as an opportunity for meditation, 
then you're improving the odds that someone is going to be able to hop onto that uh, psychoelectric bandwidth and that uh, the two of you may actually reinforce some sort of ordinarily inaccessible, high bandwidth, uh, supracognitive activity. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And that's, that's why I really try to create the atmosphere around us to support that as well. And it, I think you said it really, really great. It's that, it's that surrender. It's that receptivity. It's that allowance, that surrendered state for myself as an artist, you know, I mean, you, you know, you're going to go up and play some music or you're going to go, you know, live paint, you know, it's best to just let go and let it come through you, you know, instead of trying to force it or, you know, <laughs> get to get to over overthinking of it. And so that's, that's what I'm trying to do is to create a space where I can align, I can attune, I can relax. And I, I really, that was really cool to, to say that I haven't thought about it, but that, that loop of, of the connection between, between myself and my clients where that then reinforces and amplifies and just, you know, helps to perpetuate that state. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, I was just talking last night with Rack Razam and Niles Heckman, uh, who, have this Shamans of the Global Village project. It's a you know film they're working on together, mm. and they're both they're both awesome dudes. Uh, I've known them uh, for years. They're they're out there in the psychonautic journalist category uh, individually, and they're they're even more hilarious and awesome together. And they were talking about all of this research that uh, that's going on. Uh, in the last few years, it's talking about the rigorous empirical correlates for all of this stuff. So, you know, we now know that that we have this this link between gamma brainwave activity and this sense of continuity or like uh, like living presence of ancestors which I found really interesting, which is like also associated with, with flow states in general. It's mm. like, as we empty out that, uh, all of the other, um, dead and unborn seem, you know, at least phenomenologically to filter back in. And there's a, there's a real interesting question to me in this about, you know, whether the sacredness of tattoo is because it is physically shocking so that it induces these uh, spiritual experiences. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, it's like the, it's like the, the suspension. Um, there was a movie, I forget what it was. It was an old Western where a guy was initiated into a native American ceremony and he was hung by his pecs by Eagle talons. And, um, I had the good fortune when I was younger in my career to be um, a guest artist in Santa Fe, New Mexico at a shop there called Aware. And there was two amazing um, women who ran this studio and they were um, some really respected and, and classically trained uh, piercers in that industry. And, and I remember seeing on the walls of the studio, some of the Southeast Asian ceremonial, you know, suspension piercing ritualistic ceremonies where, you know, that's, that, that was part of what you're describing is, is people were doing this stuff in order to get out of body and to connect with the divine and to induce this and might be more painful, but that was, that was what their intention was. 
Yeah, well, I guess maybe my last question for you for the time being is just, what do you think about the future of tattooing? Because this is, this will, you know, most likely one day survive thanks to cloud computing and the increasing indestructibility of our data and the increasingly adroit back compatibility of everything because, and I'm not just wishing this, I, you know, I know this to be true where we're actively working on making sure that we can access everything, that we don't leave, you know, massive parts of our data wealth behind us as we do these, we go through these accelerating software updates, right? So this podcast will one day be heard by people that are tattooing in the distant future. <laughs> and I'm curious what you wonder about from them or like what you have to say to them, etc. Well, I think that because um, there's there's two ways I think to look at this question. One is is that the technology of tattooing is is I mean even in the last 10 years, the tools that I use and that the industry uses has accelerated in such a way that nobody ever predicted. Even the things like if you've ever seen the disposable cartridge needles that people use now, much like a socket, you're like switching out at the end of your machine for rotary machines. And the machinery itself, the hardware has leaps and bounds, just, just, just moved into a direction. I don't think anyone could ever imagined, you know, 15 years ago when I was in the beginning. And so I think that's going to continue to improve where, the artists, the tattoo artists and the machinery that they use are going to become more and more intuitive and integrated so that you don't have to think about what you're doing on that level as much. It's just going to kind of like when I oil paint or when I, even when I get into a flow with, um, with dot work and stippling, I don't even feel like I'm doing it. I'm watching myself intend it. And it just like, how did I get that, 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 that scale of shading so smooth or how did I make this line so crisp? It, it it baffles me. I think it's that <laughs> that that connection of uh, of the hardware we're using, which even our bodies are a part of it, and then the the tool of of what's extending from that. So I think the machinery is going to become more and more advanced to the point where it's almost like this intuitive, very subtle, very unobtrusive apparatus that does exactly what you want it to do. And that may look completely different than the traditional type of machinery. It may go to even things like lasers or, you know, who knows? I mean, I think of Star Trek and all kinds of things like that, where it doesn't matter what you're using to apply the tattoo, that can evolve. I think the idea that a person is doing it is going to be similar to how if you go into a, like a, a, you know, a hardware store now, LED lights are all the rage or, you know, things that are more futuristic and energy consumptive saving. But then there's also this little section where they have the incandescent bulbs that look, look all vintage. Have you seen these things? Oh yeah. I like them. Yeah. yeah. They have that warm glow that everyone still loves that feels more comfortable, I think. And, and then they have the look of the filament that still is, you know, from an artistic and aesthetic perspective, it's amazing, but they're, they're like, there's this push to like get all the old incandescents out, but then you've got this little niche uh, novelty aspect that's still going to be there because you know there's a demand for it and people still want that. So I feel like even if computers or a machine like in Starship Troopers tattoos you, you just stick your arm in, uh, even if something like that is perfected, I think there's always going to be 
a really niche area where people are doing that by hand and even maybe even the hand poke method where they're still doing it in a more um, simple manner because you know it's just it's part of our wiring i think that we um we go through these cycles where it's just like oh look how cool this is and amazing it is but then you know i'm shaving with a straight razor because it has a sense of personal meaning or significance or novelty that you know you can't get in any other way so i i feel like that's probably going to be the case i think all the information people are sharing you know 15 years ago it was hard to get answers out of people or information as far as tattooing so i think the connections of how information is shared and, and what people know coming out of the you know the starting point of learning to tattoo is just going to be phenomenal like you're saying the preservation of all this information is going to be at everyone's fingertips so you're going to see better and better artwork tat- i think in the future you're going to see more and more artists and i think you're going to see things that are pushing the bounds of what's possible with a tattoo and, and I hopefully also with how long it lasts and how good it looks long term as well i think all those things are going to continue to improve what about Terence McKenna's notion that the future human beings would be like octopus that would they would have just this totally fluid color changing skin head to toe that we would communicate entirely everything that we we needed to say visually that that it would be a much richer message than we we do communicate verbally that you know, the eventually tattoo just sort of merges with speech. Yeah. Like the idea that language is something that's beheld rather than spoken. Yeah. 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 The, the old alchemical yarn. Yeah. Well, I mean, then that goes into maybe a, another fun podcast, but like I was just having a conversation with my wife about this and like, you know, there's the whole, well, VR and where is that going? And are we going to a place where it's going to become indistinguishable from what we imagine as reality? Uh, there was a great movie. I forget. I didn't actually see it, but I saw the trailer for it. it was from, I think it was from the early 2000s or 1990s where they basically go back into a virtual world and then they realize that they are in a virtual world. The real world they thought they were in was, was a virtual world to somebody else. And if we're in a virtual world where anything's possible and these superhuman abilities, like you're saying, like, like octopus expression are all just a matter of time or, or, you know, experience. You talking about the 13th floor? That could, could have been it. I, I don't know. Cause they, they come out in pairs. Right. And I think that one came out at the same time as existence. And, and then the, the matrix was right after that. Like there's yeah. little like clusters where the same archetype is like, boink, 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 you know, pops yep. up all at once. Yeah. Yeah. They go back to a, a, a like 1920s you know, Paris and it's, it's a virtual reality. And then they're trying to figure out how to operate and do whatever they're doing. And then they realize that they're in, they're in a virtual reality too. So I think that's the one anyway. Anyway, if we're in a virtual reality and it's in a thing indistinguishable, we just think it's real. And then we're like, Oh, how do we create a virtual reality? anything's possible. So I think like the idea that the intention or the thought connection between what we think of as matter or of life or of reality is, is moldable, you know, it's going to be moldable more and more moldable. So that would be a beautiful imaginary expression. It's like what you see in movies like avatar, um, the last airbender where he's got the tattoos that light up and glow, or even in the other avatar movie where they have, you know, markings and stuff like that, where the, this, this, avatar like you said that we're living in becomes the the technology and i think that's probably what we're going to realize <laughs> is that we're we're already in the highest form of technology 
we just don't know how to use it to its full potential. And it's, um, you know, things like that, like you're saying, communicating through your skin to other people or, um, you know, telepathy, things like that, that are already a part of our, our day-to-day life, but will become more pronounced. And, you know, the actual form of applying a tattoo through a needle or a laser or whatever, it may be, it may be, um, not even an issue anymore because we just realize we can tattoo ourselves and then change it. Cause I know a lot of people that have old tattoos that I covered up or even some of the tattoos I have, I'm like, well, what's my, what's my real connection to it right now with what I've become and, and know and think about and would I choose to change it up again if I could. And the answer is yes. I would, I mean, I would love to have a new set of tattoos every year or month that I could play with. And I think that would be fun. I think people would enjoy that. And then it would take a lot of the, the stigma and also I think the uh, taboo out of it. If you could, you know, for any situation, much like a chameleon, just change your skin. I think that might, that might eventually merge with clothing and with gene mod in general. And then it's just sort of, you know, that throwing a different skin on is uh, like a fashion decision. You mm-hmm. know? But on that uh, bizarre note, I think <laughs> let's just end it. Perhaps the image to leave people with is the notion that some future quote unquote tattoo artist might be the one that just injects you with the uh, nanites that then give you fur or feathers. And that it's this, but that it's, it's the kind of practice that you have kept alive and people like you, you know, people like Chris D and David Hale, shout out to those guys for yeah, holding yeah. down a super, uh, super uber sacred tattoo practice that they, uh, I can imagine that, and I hope, I really hope in the future that, that when people are uh, modding out in that way, that they do it as intentionally and uh, with as much like love and respect as you uh, and your contemporaries do your tattoo practice, because that would be super delicious. So, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> so, dude, where, where, uh, where would you send people who want to find you? Uh, I've got a website, mountaintempletattoo.com. Pretty simple, mountaintempletattoo.com. And there's a form on there to fill out if you have an idea or you'd like to work with me for a project for a, a transformational tattoo. I've got a whole you know spiel on there that describes the process of, of how that works uh, and then also kind of what you can expect as far as my approach. And well, I'll get back with you as soon as I can and um, look forward to hearing from anybody who's interested in working with me on that level. I'm located right in downtown Asheville. But yeah, the website's the easiest way to reach me. Awesome. Dude, thanks so much for chatting with me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I hope to do it again. It'd be awesome. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Future Fossils is part of the MindPod Network, an amazing collection of podcasts along with Third Eye Drops, Synchronicity Podcast, It's All Happening, The Astral Hustle. Be sure to go to mindpodnetwork.com and check it out. And if you'd like to support the show, patreon.com slash Michael Garfield. Thanks again. Until next week.